Yeah, week number two, life goals. Last week, we talked about health. And uh, again, you know, as normal, whenever we're in a series, every, every series, each message sort of builds on the last. And so I would encourage you, if you miss especially the first week of a series, um, to go back and listen. You can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to a, our podcast or whatever, and you can go find our, our past sermons. And uh, because sometimes we share things in the first week that sort of sets the tone for the whole series. And so last week we did that. We took some time in the beginning of the service, uh, the sermon, and we talked about uh, goals and, and, and life and some of the questions we might be asking. But, uh, but today's part two of that. And again, it, it kind of builds on the previous week. So each week we're talking about a different set of goals um, in our lives and how these goals point to a deeper question, which is this. What do you want from life? You know, all of us, we have goals in life, and especially here we are in January, and a lot of us, uh, we talked last week about how many people are goal people or not goal people. Uh, I'm not really a goal person, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, we set, we set aims, we set ideas of, or pictures in our head of where we want to be, and, uh, and, and really those things say a lot about our heart, our desire, and what we eventually want out of life. At the end of my life, what do I look back and what do I look at? You know, what have I accomplished, uh, you know, family-wise or, or career-wise? And uh, it says a lot about our heart. It says a lot about our, our aim in life. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we talked about how Paul was instructing the church in Corinth. Uh, he was talking about the tension that we have between being on this earth as believers, this tension that we have being on this earth and then desiring to be in heaven with God. And so we're sort of like in the here and now, but we're like looking forward to the, to the beyond, right? The eternity. And we're sort of in this tension. And he says, while we're on earth, our aim should be to, to glorify God, right? To lift up the name of Jesus. We, we would put it in a, in a few different words here for us, but it's about pleasing God, lifting up Jesus. And we talked about glorifying God. We talked about being a good steward of our lives and our health. And uh, today we're gonna build on that and we're talking about relationship goals, relationship goals. Now, when I say relationship goals, a lot of people think of, you know, like, I don't know, maybe you're like 20 years old, 22 years old, nowadays maybe like 35 years old, and like you've got this goal of marriage. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to find the one, the one. You know, can I say something about the one real quick? This isn't in my notes. Um, if you're looking for the one, or maybe at some point you thought you found the one and now you're married. I just want to let you know something. Like, like if, they, if, they, if they weren't the one before you got married, now they are the one. You know what I'm saying? They are the one and only. That's it, man. That's just the way that you got to look at it, you know? And, uh, but relationship goes, a lot of time goes, it goes to like this romantic thing, you know? I mean, man, I just picture, I just want a man who would just every day, every day when we get up, we're going to start every day with a kiss. That's what we're gonna do every day, every day. And we're gonna, we're gonna set the alarm 10 minutes early so we can just cuddle, you know? And, and I want a man who buys me flowers for no reason, you know? The guy's like, I want a woman that doesn't ask any questions. You know what I'm saying? Like if I say I'm going out with the boys, I'm going out with the boys, you know? <laughs> right, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we have these goals set up into marriage. And uh, I'm not talking about that today, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about because uh, in some way, shape, or form, we've all kind of thought that. And then, you know, I guess girls for, you know, if, if that's your thing, like, you know, we're going to start every day with a kiss. That first time you get a whiff of that breath in the morning, you're like, yeah, this ain't. 
This is not what I thought it was going to be. It never is, y'all. It never is. You know, low expectations. No. But uh, when most people hear this, you know, relationship goals, they think of that. But the reality is this. Every single one of us, we are in relationships. Every single one of us. This is one of those messages. Honestly, this is one of the reasons why churches talk about relationships so much and pastors teach. That's why there's so many books all over the world, church or not church books, you know, Christian books. It's because we're all in relationships and it applies to all of us. And, and you know, we have these, these goals in our relationship. Uh, 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 we have, every, every relationship is unique. We all have unique roles in these relationships, whether you're a child or, you know, sibling, aunt, uncle, brother, what, it doesn't matter. In the church and out the church, come on, y'all. It's, it's sometimes it's difficult enough in our own family, our small family. And then all of a sudden we, we join, it, we join the, the family of God. You know what I'm saying? And then we've got like another family of people. Relationships that we're interacting with and we have goals. Come on, y'all. Don't you wanna be the best husband or wife or brother or coworker or employer or leader? You wanna be the best one possible. That's, that's like, I would think that every single person genuinely inside, you really want wanna be, you know what I'm saying? But uh, th- th- there's one problem. Relationships are hard. <laughs> They're hard. They're difficult. And so you go into it with the best intentions and then things happen. Things happen. And you know, you look back, and if it's a broken relationship, you try to look back and say, well, who made the wrong choice? Who said the wrong thing? Who did the wrong thing? Because somebody's got to be blamed. Somebody's got to bear the weight of responsibility for that problem. But even that's hard. How many of you have ever been like in a in a difficult relationship? Something happens, and you're honestly you're sitting there and you're like, was I wrong? I thought I was right, but I'm not really sure anymore. Did I, should I have been, should I have not done that? I thought I was standing for what I, you know, what was good. Or I thought that I was trying to be like compromising. I I thought I was, but then you look back, you're like, I don't, was I? Sometimes you just don't know because relationships are hard and it applies to all of us. And so we want to have good relationships. And if I could put it like this, we want to have healthy relationships. Last week, we talked about health. We talked about how if we're healthy, everything that we do is affected by whether or not we're healthy. And that's what we're kind of building on today is that if we're healthy, generally speaking, our relationships will be healthier. If you take two people, two healthy people, and you put them into a relationship more than likely, it's gonna be difficult at times, of course, but you're gonna generally have a, a healthy relationship. Take two people, one of them unhealthy, one of them healthy, put them together. It's gonna be hard because one of them is unhealthy. Take two people, unhealthy, both of them, and put them together, you have an atom bomb. You know what I'm saying? And, and just expand that to thousands and millions of people, billions of people, and you begin to kind of see why we have so many issues. It doesn't matter if people have the best intentions, things fall apart. And so we want to be, we want to have good relationships, healthy relationships. Uh, also, one thing that we spoke about just a few weeks ago, actually, is how God has designed us for relationships. I don't believe there's one person on the face of the planet that, that is actually designed to be completely solo in life. You say, well, no, I, man, no, you could put me on the side of a mountain 
by myself, I would probably be happier. That probably speaks to some sort of dysfunction more than anything. All right, let's just be honest. There's something going on there. Maybe there's, there's trauma. There's something that has caused you to get to a place where it's like, I don't want to know another soul. Because we are designed to really desire to be in relationships and to be in healthy relationships. So... The, uh, so God designed us for relationships. We need them. You look back in scripture, obviously there's Adam and Eve. God creates Adam. Adam's with the animals. God says it's not good that man's alone. Interesting point. Adam is with God, and yet God still says it's not good for man to be alone. That's something to kind of think about for a while, right? God has created us to, to need a relationship with him and also to need a relationship with, with, with others. And, uh, but the Bible has some hard commands. There's the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, more than half has to do with people and how we engage with people. You look forward, Jesus talks about loving one another, and he says the one thing that all of us hate, which is love your enemies. That's, come on, y'all. Anybody ever read that verse and like you just really scan past it quickly? Because you're like, there's no, Jesus, there's no way you actually meant love the people that I hate, right? Come on. <laughs> anyway, keep moving from that one. John 13 says this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, a co- what's a commandment? <laughs> it's something that you have no option in. You're being commanded to do this. So what I'm about to read for me and for you, all of us together, is not optional. This is a commandment. He says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, he raises it up and he says, by this, by loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, As believers, as disciples of Christ, Jesus says that we're to love one another and love others like he has loved us. And if we do that, people will actually know that we are disciples of Christ. It's actually a reputation problem that the church has overall is that the church is full of just mean, judgmental people. Now, that's not true, even though people say that, but there are some. As in every single scenario that you ever uh, paint with 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 people. You're going to have good and bad, and then sometimes those really good people are going to act bad and and vice versa. And so we're not going to be perfect in this. It's impossible, but guess what? It's a commandment. It's a standard. It's a threshold that, that Jesus set for us, and he says, if you do this, this is one of the greatest testimonies. We just think about testimonies, right? This is one of the greatest testimonies that you can have for people that are outside of Christ, is how you treat one another and how you treat them. So this is a big deal. But here's the question. How do we love like God loves? How do we love others like God loves us? How do we reach our relationship goals? And today, we're going we're gonna to needle in on one set of scriptures that most of us know or we have like painted on some sort of like thing or we post on Instagram. It's one of those cliche uh, chapters. It's 1 Corinthians 13, all right, the love chapter. Now, let me set some context with what's going on in 1 Corinthians 13. Again, Paul, the apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and typically his letters have a lot of, you know, I'm so glad that you're doing well, or this or that, a lot of positive. Paul did the sandwich effect a lot. Come on, y'all. Hey, May grace and peace be with you. Slap, 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 slap. Grace and peace be with you. You know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of sometimes how he acted and what he said. And, and, and 
I mean, how do you say some of these hard things? Paul, he just goes in. He's like, hey, look, love you guys, but got some stuff to talk about. And what's going on is they're a very spiritual church in our, how we would say spiritual church. They have the gifts of the spirit operating in a crazy way. Like, I mean that in a crazy way. We believe in the gifts of the spirit and all those good things, but they were a little bit extreme in them. And Paul's having to bring order to what they're doing. And they were all about doctrine and conversations. There's all these back and forth between, you know, I mean, you got the Jews and the Gentiles, you got all these people that are they're wrestling, right? Doctrinal conversations. And he's like, hey, that's, that's great. Except you're missing one thing that actually cancels out all the rest. So this is a big deal what he's about to say. He's about to, he's about to correct them. And this is what he says, uh, chapter 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and, uh, men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever had someone that's just really, really loud, right? Like you're just, you're at a restaurant having a nice dinner, you know, and it's supposed to be nice and quiet. And then there's this person that's like three tables down and everybody knows all of their personal information because they're just like, well, I told him the other day. I just said, you know what? I mean, it's like white cloth, t- you know, like th- we're doing this right. It's a, it's, it's a loud person in a nice, quiet restaurant. That's aggravating, right? That's kind of the picture I have for what Paul says here. If I can do all these grandiose things, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I speak in the tongues of men and angels. He's talking about the gifts of tongues. I mean, he's going there with them. He says, but if I do that, I don't love. I'm pretty annoying. It's, it's annoying. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, y'all, these are big words. I am nothing. How many times are like the most prophetic people the most annoying? Come on. I'm just gonna say some things today. I, I, I kind of I grew up in, in, in that scene, you know, in a good way, positive. But, but at times it was like, man, I tell you, you can pray for seven hours straight, but you are the meanest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, it's really spiritual. But you kind of lack the whole like this. Love, right? So he goes on, he says, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I martyr, if I'm a martyr, you know, what are we, what are we gonna do for the poor? We're gonna give everything we have away to the poor, right? If you do that, and, and it, I mean, if you even just lay yourself out there and you're killed for the gospel, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. He takes away everybody's prideful position. He takes away every spiritual pride. He takes away every uh, thing that people find like in society, social things. And he removes, because some people, they think, oh, well, look what I do for people. Like I give a lot of money away or I do this. Or, or those people that, man, I can pray for 17 hours in, in my closet all by myself. Or, or I have all, I have mystery, hidden mystery. He's like, yeah, all that stuff's great. That's great. But if you don't love like God loves, then it's for not. Now, whenever we say this word love, it's the word agape. There's like eight different words for the word love in the Bible. And uh, we have like one pretty much, okay? I love pizza and I love my wife. <laughs> Doesn't really communicate something very uh, genuine there, right? And, but, but 
but in, 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 the, in the Greek here, there's a lot of different words for the word love. And the word here is agape, which is a unique type of love. It's the paramount, the highest form of love. It's an unconditional love, right? And it's the love that whenever in 1 John it says, God is love, that's the word. God is agape. Now, we could, we could take some time and we could have some discussion around just that thought that God is love. Because even though it's a very simple thing that people say a lot and we say, like, we, you really should meditate on that. Because then you begin to see what the world is after. You begin to see what we all hunger and we desire. We desire love. The Beatles got it right. You know what I'm saying? Like, all we need is love. And, and, and even today in our society, it's getting pumped out there. Man, we just got to love one another. We got to love one another. The, the problem is this. God defines what love is. We don't. And so the, the world tries to redefine love, and, and it's, it's in a different way. Uh, one quick, quick example would be uh, of uh, really what love is nowadays to many people is just affirmation or approval of someone's choices and lifestyle. And if you don't approve and affirm where they're at and what they're deciding to do and be, if you don't affirm that and say, you just be you, right? If you don't do that, then you're not a loving person. The problem is that is not how God defines and expresses love. That is not how Jesus lived. That's not what Jesus did. He did not approve of what basically anybody was doing, but yet he is love. So we can't look to one another to define love. We cannot, definitely can't look at the world, right? The way that the world thinks to define love. We have to look to the word of God how it defines what uh, the love of God is and what agape is. And so, uh, again, if we want to reach our relationship goals and this love, this agape love is the way to do that, we need to know what agape love is, what love does not do, right? What agape love does not do and what agape love does do. And so uh, Paul teaches us what love is starting in verse four. And and just to let you know, we're gonna hang in the next four verses of scripture the rest of the time that we have left here. But let's let these simple words affect us. And again, every single one of us, what we're about to read, it's, this applies to all of us, okay? So let's all be encouraged (laughs) and challenged together by the word of God. Verse four, this is what love is. Love is patient and love is kind. It's interesting that Paul starts off with defining one fruit of the Spirit, love, with other fruits of the Spirit, patience and kindness, Galatians chapter 5. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if we just talked about how God is love, and we talked last week about being, you know, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world. The reality of of what we're talking about is this, is that we cannot love like God. We can't obey John 13 without being filled with the Spirit of God. We cannot do something as God would do it without being filled with who God is, without understanding at a deep core level what it is, out of the heart flows the issues of life, right? Whatever I'm filled with is what I'm gonna express. We cannot do this without the Spirit of God. Now, a couple of things about patience and kindness. I want to let you know, patience isn't passivity. Sometimes we 
we misconstrue, we confuse words, and we put words like patience in this category of just like a very soft person, meaning unopinionated, not very confident, just passive type person. That's not what patience is. Patience is like this, staying calm during relational adversity. Staying calm. How many of you love when somebody says, whenever you're, I mean, you're going, like you're, you're I mean, you're passionate, like you're, you're angry, and somebody says, hey, just calm down. <sighs> hmm, don't tell me to calm down. Patience is staying calm despite everything around you. It's like a tornado. And that's a fruit of the spirit in your life. Some of you already, you've canceled yourself. You're like, that's it. I'm not patient. Well, let's keep going. It also says patient, uh, that love is kind. Kindness is concern for others. Genuinely <laughs> being concerned about someone else. Typically, whenever stuff's hitting the fan, we first and foremost are concerned about ourselves. It's the way we're thinking. How does this affect me? It's not how does this affect them. It's how does this affect me? Am I good? You know what I'm saying? That's generally where it starts. Kindness has more concern for the other person. How is this playing out in their life? The fruit of the spirit, right? Treating others with gentleness. That's what kindness is. And if we have the fruit of the spirit operating in our lives, then these are, we're, we're not gonna always bat a thousand, okay? We're not, we're not painting a picture of perfection today. At the very least, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit whenever we don't operate in this way. You're with me on that? We don't justify whenever we do something that's obviously against what the Word of God says. We don't, you know, we don't make uh, excuses. We own it. We say, you know what? That was not the fruit of the Spirit. That was not God's goal for me. That's what love ultimately is. But then he, he, he kind of wants to break it down for us and... and you know, give us some small bite sizes of what it actually looks like to love. And then he starts with what love does not do. All right, so if you guys feel like patience and kindness was a little bit too lofty, let's bring it down where we're at. 4B says this, love does not envy. We'll say it like this, love does not envy what others have. Somebody has something that you really want, love does not envy it and resent that person for having it. But also on the other side, love does not boast. Agape love does not boast in what that person does have. So you see the bookends there. I'm not gonna envy what other people have, but I'm also, if I get stuff, I'm not gonna boast in what I do have. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant, all right? It's not arrogant. We could say it this way. People that, are, that have agape love operating in their life, they're not arrogant about their opinions. Oh, now it's getting quiet. They're not arrogant about their opinions, but they're also not rude toward others with, for, for their opinions. Verse five. So it's not arrogant and it's not rude. We have bookends. It's, I, you know, see what the word of God does? Look, the word of God is it's like barriers. It's almost like if you're going down the road, you've got like, uh, you know, not dividers, but uh, guard, guardrails. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't struggle with being rude, it's also don't be arrogant over here, even in the way that you think, right? But in those who actually express their rudeness and their arrogance, hey, you know, it checks us on both sides. It goes on, it says, love, 
man, this is going to be tough. Love does not insist on its own way. In times in our relationships, whenever there should be collaboration or maybe some compromise, love does not say it's my way or no way. Love doesn't set up um, uh, uh, like criteria on someone and say, if you do all of these things, then, you know, then, okay, then, then you have my approval. Love does not do that in ways that are excess, okay? I mean, hey, there's some basics here. I think y'all kind of understand. I'm, uh, we, we, spouses shouldn't cheat on one another, okay? It's like, that's not an unrealistic expectation, okay? But, but have you ever had someone set criteria on you that you know that you will not be able to attain? You know, like, you just set me up for failure. You know what I'm saying? You can't even do that, Right? Love doesn't do that. Whenever there should be collaboration and compromise, by the way, there's a lot of compromise in, in healthy relationships in a good sense. In any relationship, at some point, you cannot always be right. If you are always right, you're probably wrong a lot more than you think. Nobody's ever always right. All right? All right? Not right? All right? It is not irritable. <laughs> Whenever I read these, I can't help but laugh because it's like, <laughs> I've been irritable this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just be honest, y'all. It's not irritable, especially about things that don't matter. Love doesn't get worked up about stuff that doesn't matter. It's not irritable. Or resentful. Love is not resentful. Whenever someone gets hurt, they don't fall into a resentful lifestyle. They don't begin to resent people when they get hurt. Love, verse six, does not rejoice at wrongdoing or when bad things happen, but it rejoices with the truth or when good or godly things happen. Now, I'm gonna meddle a little bit. We're talking about healthy relationships. Whenever you're in a relationship with someone and maybe they have hurt you or they've, they've done something to where the relationship is not healthy and something bad happens to them. And there is something inside of you that rejoices a little bit. You would never say it. You would never say, I'm glad that that happened to them, but you thought it. Come on. We've all done that. We rejoice at wrongdoing in, in situations like that. Love, agape love does not do that. God does not rejoice whenever people uh, receive the, the end result of their lifestyle, their sin. They're just, there's not a rejoice, there's not a joy. What does it say about us if we experience joy at somebody else's pain? That's not love. It's not this agape love. But it rejoices when, when truth takes place. And that we, could, we could really blow that up in a few different directions. But it rejoices at the truth. It rejoices at good, godly things taking place. In a relationship, in a nation, come on, in any way, shape, or form, it rejoices at truth. And it's grieved whenever truth doesn't win out. That's what love Looks like, 
Basically this, agape love is not selfish. Agape love is humble and agape love forgives. It's not selfish, it's humble and it forgives. Three very difficult things to do. We are built to be selfish. We're built to be in survival mode. We're built to to look out for numero uno. And in relationships, it's no different. We look out for number one. But kindness says I'm actually thinking about others before I think about myself, right? It's not self-centered. It's humble. And the last thing in this section is it forgives. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do, and it's also one of the hardest things that our culture understands. It, It doesn't really understand forgiveness, doesn't really understand it. First off, people think that when you forgive someone, you're basically saying, hey, don't worry about it. Not a problem. I know you devastated my life in every way possible, but it's all good. Guys, that's not forgiveness, all right? The whole like forgiveness is actually forgetting, that's not true either. Now, best, best case scenario is somebody hurts you, right? You forgive and you do forget. That, that'd be awesome. But the reality is, is I remember most times whenever somebody did something against me, I also remember a lot of times whenever I did something against someone else, right? But, but love forgives. It doesn't say it's okay what happened. It just says, I'm releasing you of that guilt. I'm not holding it over your head anymore. You hurt me, it hurts. I've got a lot of things that I've got to work through now because of that, if it's one of the really bad things, okay? I got to work through a lot of pain on this, but I'm not going to like guilt you. I'm not going to hold it over. You're not going to hear me bring it up in five years again and act like it happened yesterday. Love does not do that. It forgives. But our culture says that until somebody makes full restitution for what they have done, they are not truly released of their guilt. Now, there are some scenarios where that plays out. Look, if somebody, if if you break the law, you have a debt that you must pay. Come on. Nowadays, it's like, oh, I did it, you know, three years ago, man. Come on, just grace. And it's like, well, no, it's an outstanding thing that you did. You know what I'm saying? And some people do that in relationships. Bro, I did that a long time ago. Yeah, I know. I've been carrying it for five years, man. (laughs) You know, I just hadn't said anything. And there has to be like some sort of restoration. But what does restoration even look like? Have... I could play this scenario either way. Have you ever hurt someone? Maybe you knew or you didn't know. It was unintentional or intentional. And the relationship's broken down. And then you go to try to make it right. And you're ready to make it right and they are not. And that it doesn't budge. There's a lot of conversations, but nothing actually happens. Swap it around. Somebody's really done something to you. They come to you and you're not ready Like, whatever that means. You're not in a place where you really feel like you can either talk about it or process through it to healing. Like, it's it's just, I I don't know. At that moment, there's so many opportunities for things to take place. That's really the opportunity. I'm not saying it always is, but it's the opportunity for resentment and bitterness to begin to take root. Because when somebody asks you to forgive them, okay, and you don't give that forgiveness... The reason that you don't do that in some instances is because there's a little bit of power that you reserve in holding that unforgiveness, right? Like holding that forgiveness from them 
And it, and it might be the last thing you have left to actually feel like you have some sort of control, right? And you, you hold that and, and you, you almost like try to like hope that they'll feel some pain because they did that to you, right? So you withhold it hoping that they'll feel something. Hopefully they break, hopefully they cry, hopefully they beg because man, it makes me feel better. The problem is, is that's the doorway to bitterness. And once bitterness begins to play out in your life, it doesn't just stay with that one situation. It is going to bleed into everything else. This is what the enemy does. This is how he operates in our lives. Even if we're, we would feel justified in withholding that forgiveness in that relationship, even if, you know, even if, even if I, can, I can sit here and tell you all the reasons and you would nod your head and be like, you know what, that sounds good. There still is an element in agape love that doesn't let us just stay there. But in our culture, the scenario I'm, I'm, I'm painting for you, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of counselors, there's a lot of psychologists, there's a lot of really good stuff out there that people have written books and they've got their degrees and all that kind of stuff. And what they say is sort of, it sort of leans the opposite direction. Don't forgive until you're ready. Sorry, I just, <laughs> when I read the Bible, I just don't see that option. Now, the process of healing and all that, y'all, grieving, there's a whole other scenario playing out that I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking about literally holding something over somebody's head, man. That is a story that you don't want written in your life, man. I'm telling you, it's not gonna play out well. And the standard for why we do that is John 13. We love as God has loved us. We forgive as God has forgiven us. I have done nothing to deserve the forgiveness of God of my sin. But yet he freely gives it. That's the standard. And that grates on us, and, and we have a lot to talk through with that because that's hard, and, and, but, but you don't know my story. I, I don't. You don't know mine. <laughs> but this is what the word of God says. So let this push on us. Craig Rochelle says this, love doesn't keep records of wrong, but bitterness keeps detailed accounts. If you can remember everything that that person said to you, and you can remember it with vitriol, and you can remember it, and there's like, if you can, and you're keeping detailed accounts, I wanna let you know today that you are, if not already, you're on the doorstep of falling into a bitter lifestyle and unforgiveness. We have a saying, and it's something like this, unforgiveness is like, it's like setting yourself on fire and hoping the person that hurts you dies from smoke inhalation. Makes no sense. You're ruining yourself. And God knows this about us because he designed us and he knows what we're gonna deal with and that's why his words instructs us in this way. Then for more clarification, Paul tells us this. He tells us what love does. This is the last section of scripture we're gonna read. 1 Corinthians 13, verse seven and eight. He says this, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, what did you guys just feel whenever I read those scriptures? <sighs> Doesn't that feel a lot better to read? Doesn't that 
goal of what a relationship could look like where there's love in a relationship, a foundation of love in a relationship that these people bear all things with one another. They believe all things with one another. They hope all things and they, it endures through all things. Doesn't that feel you? Look, if you know that the person that you're, that's on the other side of that relationship, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child or a whoever employee, if you know that they had this as their goal in relationships, wouldn't it make you a lot more stable? Wouldn't it make the relationship a lot more stable? That's actually one of the main issues with marriages is that, is that some people are not 100% committed. They actually aren't committed to this in their marriage and it actually creates instability from day one. If I know that divorce is in the back, background of, of somebody's mind, if I know that that's an actual option and a go-to option, I can tell you that 1 Corinthians 7 and 8 isn't, isn't where they're really starting from. I'll bear with all things unless, you know, we aren't able to get that house. Unless, you know, if you ever disappoint me, you know, I, un, unless. Love doesn't say unless. Love says, I'm here. I'm committed. I'm all in. <clears throat> I don't know what I'm feeling right now. I can, let me tell you, let me let you into my head. So whenever I, I, I teach stuff like this and I say it, even if I'm not teaching it, but I'm just by myself in a conversation with someone, um, I, I, I am a, my personality is, is a debater, okay? So I can play devil's advocate in anything. Even if something I completely disagree with, I can still play the devil's advocate in it and fight for the side that I don't. So whenever I teach, I hear the other side right when I say something, like immediately, and whenever you touch on something like marriage and divorce, whenever you talk about bitterness, I hear the other side. And it's not that those reasons, it's not that there's not stories that could, uh, could, that, that could prove the other side. Not every single divorce is, is unwarranted, all right? But let me tell you this, every divorce happens because one or both of the people involved were self-centered. I can say that without a doubt. So however the shoe fits, just, you know, lace it up. It's self-centeredness, it's pride, it's all of the elements that the enemy has, has that, that sin has, you know, it's been injected into our nature and now we're dealing with it today in our relationships. Agape love is persistent, optimistic, trusting, and unconditional. Persistent optimistic, trusting, and unconditional. But let me say this, bearing and enduring are not permission for toxicity and or abuse. So let me lean to the other side real quick because there's a lot of people who have been trapped in relationships and they don't know how to get out of them and then they hear a message like this and they feel guilty for trying to actually survive. And so love, even though it endures and it's persistent, there is a balance in I don't believe that the word of God tells us to remain in relationships that are harmful, that are abusive, right? Relationships where uh, you're being emotionally abused and, 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 and being torn down from the inside out, gutted, lied to, gaslit, all of this kind of stuff. There is a threshold, and let me tell you, that threshold is difficult to know where the line is. Nowadays, 
People take a lot of the, the words that they find out from their counselors, their psychologists, or just from Googling stuff, and they apply words that are used uh, primarily by professionals for people that are pretty much like in extreme uh, cases, and they apply those words to every single person. So if somebody is assertive, they say that they're nar- narcissistic or whatever the case is, right? Like, like, and there's this whole conversation about masculine and feminine personality types and how these things interact. Not every single, uh, 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 you know, argument is a sign of abuse, but guess what? Sometimes it could be. Y'all see the, y'all see the tension in that? That's, we do need one another, we need counsel, we need discernment, we need people involved in the situations that we're in because if not, what can happen is this. Someone who's experiencing that level of manipulation, they could begin, their mind could begin to play tricks on them and they begin to think that they're always wrong. They think that they're always the one that needs to change and the other person never needs to and then before you know it, they're trapped for decades in a relationship that's gutting their life. And so what I'm talking about today because it, it, it's, not, it's not that. Love endures and does all that, but love does that from the other end of the spectrum too. Like if a person's experiencing that type of manipulation, love is not a part of that relationship. They're, they're missing it. And so the whole relationship is out of balance. It's off kilter. What we're talking about today, y'all, is how to have godly, healthy relationships and, and relationships that actually mirror the type of relationship that we're supposed to have with God. So how do we reach these goals? Well, we love, but we also don't allow ourselves to be abused. There's something I wanna let you know about. It's called boundaries. It's okay to have boundaries in your relationships. If you've had people in your life that are, are steeped in addiction and you always feel guilty because you don't always give them what they want at the time and, you, and they're bleeding you dry, there's a, it's very difficult to say, but you, you need to look at putting boundaries in that relationship, in your marriage, maybe there's something really negative going on, really, really abusive or whatever. You need, you need to find out what do boundaries look like in just your general friendships. J- y'all, look, just because you've been friends with them since you were a teenager doesn't mean that now that they're in their 30s and they're toxic, okay, that you have to remain in that relationship whenever they're bleeding you dry, Right? Boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book, you can look it up, it's called Boundaries. And he says this, in short, boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. They guard our treasures. Some of you need to hear that today, man. There's treasures in your life that you need to set up some boundaries for and stop allowing that person or the enemy to use that person to rape your life. Put up boundaries. Now, we need some wisdom on how to set those, but one, one other thing I wanna let you know before we move on, Dr. Caroline Leaf, both of these people, you can follow on Instagram and stuff, and they've got some really good quotes and some good things, but Dr. Caroline Leaf, she says this, you can't change the people around you, right? You know that you can't, I can't change you, like not really, but you can change the people around you. <laughs> you know, I can't change you, but I can change how much we hang out on Friday night. <laughs> and that's not unloving. Years and years ago, me and my wife, we had a couple that we hung out with a whole lot. We loved them. And we hung out for years. And there was this one night in particular that for me, something happened 
It wasn't horrible, it wasn't that wrong, but there was something that took place that was said and done that made me feel like this is an unsafe relationship. Not that we might get hurt, but they were not in a good place. And what I saw was their standards of living and the way that they thought about one another and it was beginning to bleed into my marriage. My standards of living, the way that I saw the word of God in some instances was being affected by the way that he did and not in a good way. And we put distance between our relationships. And it wasn't much long, it wasn't, it wasn't that long after that, things fell apart. And I, we grieved, I mean, it's horrible. I'm not rejoicing in that. What I'm saying is sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you to distance yourself from someone because you can't change them but you can change how much you hang with them. Take that for what it's worth, right? We gotta wrap up. At the same time, even though we should have boundaries, we should also be willing to walk through hardships, flaws, and sanctification with one another. Hey, y'all, in this church, as you get close to people, you're gonna have to work through some of this. I'm never going to say, I'm never going to paint this church to be a perfect church, never going to paint myself or anyone else to be perfect. At some point, somebody's going to say something in a group, on a team, on a Sunday morning, whatever, as you're hanging out on Saturday night, what, somebody's going to do something, they're going to post something that you disagree with, and everything that we just talked about, you actually have to do. The problem is, in church, a lot of times, what happens is people get, they get hurt, some, some are legit, don't get me wrong, there's legit hurt. Sometimes, though, it's, it's hurt that needs to be worked through and not bailed on. Just like in marriages, there's pain that needs to be worked through, not bailed on. But so we have to be committed to the process of sanctification in, in people's lives, y'all. Agape love is lastly, it's eternal. It's eternal because God is eternal. God is eternal, God is love, love is eternal. And God displayed this eternal love to us in Romans. Last scripture for today. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, right? One might die for somebody who's a really, really good person that they really like. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Might not. <laughs> but God shows his love for us in that while, y'all listen to this, in, while we, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still not just like not a good person, like I could, could, could do better, like against God, postured against God. God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to die in our place. Don't let the thing that I just said become routine and religious and lose its power in your heart and in your life, y'all. You were born in sin, the same sin that, that, that breaks your soul and, and destroys your spirit, that's the same thing that breaks and destroys your relationships. It's the same root system. And Jesus came to turn that and flip that right side up. And now we're in the in-between. And in our relationships, I want you to have good relationships. I want us to have godly relationships. But I think prior to that, again, like every single week, y'all, the first step is that your relationship with God is reconciled. And then from that, the rest of these relationships can then become healthy. And, and you can see true heartfelt reconciliation begin to take place. That's my heart for you today. I hope that's what you received in this message today. There's a lot more that we could say. But I believe that if, I don't think that we'll ever read these scriptures the same again for some of us. And that's, that's the point.
That's the point of all this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just get along with Jesus. God, we do thank you for your love, your agape, unconditional. God, we thank you today that even though we know that we have disappointed over and over, God, that we have made mistakes, that Lord, that even though that doesn't make, your love doesn't make those mistakes okay, your love remains in spite of them. And God, because of that, we know that your grace and your mercy are renewed for us where sin abounds, grace abounds. So God, we hold to that right now. God, I pray that you anchor our hearts in that. Lord, that if there's anybody in this place today that's living under condemnation, that today, God, you would change that condemnation into conviction, what the enemy has used to try to beat people and break people. God, today, that you would use that to provide hope, to show them the way out of their situation. God, ultimately, the first step, God, is that you've made a way through Jesus. We're grateful for that. If you're in this place today, you're watching online, you don't know Jesus, say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I give you all that I am. I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. Even when I didn't know it, you were still there and you're here with me now. And I, be- I believe in Jesus. I submit my life to you. Take my heart and transform it, God. For all of us, Lord, we're praying today for our relationships. God, we're praying that you would renew our relationships. God, for those of us who are experiencing great bitterness, it, it hurts. God, it's complicated. You know, Father, I pray that right now by your spirit, you begin to detangle the knot. You begin to detangle the web in that relationship. God, you begin to comb it out, Father. Begin to make things straight and clear and precise in our thought process about where we are in this relationship. And God, how we can have a healthy relationship with this person or this group of people in a way that actually glorifies you, in a way that actually points people to know, wow, I actually saw a disciple of Christ actually love someone. God, help us to to see that. Renew our strength in our relationships, God. Father, where we have been depleted because of the energy that has gone out, God, would you fill us with your spirit and your power in order to re-engage in the proper way. God, I pray that you give boldness to some in this place for boundaries, to set up proper boundaries. Father, that the enemy could no longer still kill, kill and destroy their life and suck them dry of the life that you are giving them. God, I pray that you would give wisdom and discernment. God, we are people who are trying our best, Lord. Relationships are hard, but God, we're praying that by your spirit that you would help us to, to, to do well in our relationships. We love you and we thank you. Amen.